0: Natural movement is the emergent property of getting out of your own way in this, right? If you if you just keep yourself open and keep yourself relaxed and keep yourself balanced as a default state, then your body will answer those questions naturally. This is Glenn Murphy with NC Systema, and this is Systema for Life. How are we? Top of the morning to you.
1: And to you, Glenn. How are you feeling? Good, we just had an amazing session you and i i uh freed my shoulders
0: cool yeah. but how did that feel different from what they were like before
1: um it felt like swinging hammers <laughs> uh so i didn't I didn't have to do anything hmm. like there's there's always that, that lie that I have to put effort into the movement and as opposed to sort of moving freely. And as many times as I watch Vladimir move and I think, oh, so like, look how effortless, like, like a dance, like just him moving through space. Hmm. I don't trust it in myself, but we we did about uh, 45 minutes worth of work just on heaviness and and balance. And once I had that, then I had the the confidence to just sort of, you know, like smack you hard and with my shoulder, with my elbow, without without trying to, just sort of natural movements.
0: Yeah, yeah, right. And yeah, that's a little bit one of what I'd like to get into today is this idea of um, natural movements coming from kind of exquisite balance. It, it might not always look that way, but I, I think advanced practitioners have... Systema always seem like they're they're very very well balanced and I don't mean that they have to do anything particularly acrobatic like kind of in uh, you know kung fu or something jetly tricks to kind of flip all over the place onto their hands and back again that is impressive in and of itself and of course if you can do those kinds of kinds of acrobatics then it demonstrates a a good level of balance within your body um, but we're just talking about the practical level of balance that allows you to avoid using excess effort or excess tension right if you're put simply if you're trying to move a fridge or put a uh, push a car or pick up a heavy bag or something if you're out of balance to begin with if your feet are like you know a foot and a half away from the bag and you're leaning all the way over and your spine is twisted and you're trying to pick it up with one finger then obviously you're not going to deliver as much power Um just because you're poorly balanced and half of your muscular effort is being required to stop you from toppling over in the direction of the bag <laughs> or the fridge Um whereas if you're well bounced um, you can lift uh, easily because most of the compressive force is going down through your body into your feet in that instance, for example. So I'd like to talk a little bit today about um, the influence of balance, the importance of balance on our system training and also in our lives and also you know the corollaries that we see with psychological balance or emotional balance or, or health balance, which is very much um, what you work on with your clients a lot of the time, balance in nutrition and balance in activity versus stasis and all of those things as well. So sound like a good subject? Let's do it. Groovy. Okay. So put very, very simply, um, all physical objects have balance, right? And everything is made of mass, as far as we know. Um, And every object has kind of like a, a center of mass, which is to say, like a point at which the most of the mass of the object seems to be concentrated right if it's a if the mass is uniformly distributed throughout an object like it's a solid brick made of the same stuff and then the center of mass will typically be right in the center of the object um, Mm. right but if it's not like a baseball bat where like the end might be heavier than the handle end for example then the center of mass will be shifted towards that density right everybody kind of knows this from um, basic level physics at school okay sure um Human beings are a little bit more complex than that. Uh, obviously we have a center of mass and everybody can kind of picture the uh, da Vinci, um, what do you call him, the Vitruvian man kind of balance where, where he kind of points out that the center of mass of a human is kind of in the middle and seems to kind of move around that point and all that kind of stuff. Um, but we also dynamically maintain our balance. We're not like a baseball bat, right? Somebody else has to balance a baseball bat on something, right, uh, in order for it not to topple. We're in a constant process of maintaining our balance um, unless we're asleep and we're completely flat on the ground and we're not teetering on one shoulder or something um, we're completely flat but even in that instance we still have kind of a center of mass and it's falling to its lowest point um the back of our body if we're lying face up for example um in which we kind of settle against the earth right when you're standing up you're in a constant process of kind of adjustment maintaining your balance we're kind of like a a pendulum, but in reverse, right? Instead of swinging from our heads backwards and forwards, we're kind of swinging from our feet, and then mm-hmm. the chains of muscles and fascia running from the fronts of our feet all the way up to our neck and from the back of our neck all the way back down to the backs of your heels again are in this constant process of kind of balancing and rebalancing uh, in order to keep us upright. And that doesn't happen by magic, that happens through a combination of um, sensory cues that come into the body and also predictive cues from the brain, right? And we, the body doesn't just wait until it's out of balance. And then start to rebalance itself. It, it, it starts to predict based on where you want to go or what you want to do, what kind of conformation of the body, what shapes it's going to have to make in order to stay balanced when you take a step forwards or roll over a car or whatever it is that you're going to be doing, right? Um, and in very basic terms, the sensory inputs, um, you have visual ones, literally your eyes, right? You can look at the horizon around you and the objects around you and you have a reference point there um, to tell you whether or not you're right. tilting or which, upside down. A bit like an aeroplane. right? Yeah which, is, yeah, which
1: is why it's harder to stand on one foot when you close your eyes. Exactly,
0: yeah. Because you get those visual inputs um, that help you to understand and orient yourself. Um, then you have the vestibular organs. So these are the little balance organs in the inner ears um, with little kind of heavy iron-based um, Compounds that kind of sink to the lowest point within a fluid in your inner ear, pretty much. And when those get displaced, if you rotate or you invert yourself or you're hanging upside down or something, then obviously those will tell you which way gravity is. And that helps you to um, send a direct signal back to your brain and it helps you to orient yourself almost in a magnetic sense, right? Rather than just a visual contextual senses like magnetically this way is down right this is the Mm -hmm. middle of the planet right Mm -hmm. and this is the way that we're going to be pulling so we we orient ourselves relative to the pull of the planet using the vestibular organs that way Um, another one is proprioception so it's the combined inputs of all the little sensory organs within the tendons and the uh, ligaments and the joints right every time we move an arm out of position stretch a muscle compress a muscle there's a little feedback um, signal that goes back to the brain to tell us that your arm has moved from here to here right if you close your eyes and then try and move a fingertip and touch your own nose the reason you can do that with your eyes closed is that your body senses the distance between those two things and predicts what's going to be happening right so proprioception feeds into balance as well uh, and there's also kind of cutaneous cues so you get cues from your skin Right. if you tap into something obviously your your skin gives you a very quick feedback signal saying you've gone too far over because you've bounced off something right mm. and recently i was when i was up in toronto i actually tried out a sensory deprivation tank for the first time, lying in one of these coffin like things and like 400 pounds of Epsom salt or something. And, and you float. And after about 10, 15 minutes, you, you know, your arms twitch like you're falling asleep and your legs twitch and, and you finally you're in there and you're like, Oh, I'm weightless. This is interesting. And you start listening to your thoughts and doing all those meditative cool things. And then once, once in a while, you're inadvertently like a toe will tap the edge of the thing where you've drifted slowly into the Mm. the side of it or something. And you're like, whoo, what was that? Right. And you are suddenly rudely awakened by that cutaneous input um that where you are and which way up you are and all that kind of stuff so the combination of those visual cues vestibular cues from the ears proprioception which is like mechanical sensory information from the joints and the the, uh, muscles and cutaneous like skin input cues are all kind of integrated in the brain to tell us which way up we are whether or not we're going to topple over and what we need to do to adjust that Some of that adjustment is reflexive. It just goes to the spine and back and we make quick rebalancing motions without really having to think about it. Um, And others you have to learn. Others have to be kind of practiced. Like most people can... rebalance themselves you know if you push them over backwards most people will step behind them with a foot to buttress themselves so they don't just fall flat on their bum right mm-hmm. um, but not many people will do a backflip from there right mm-hmm. like push them with their chest and they go whoo, whoo, and flip flack, and land on their feet again you have to learn that right and that's a process of dynamic balancing and rebalancing not, not to mention strength and flexibility in, in order to do that so there's a lot of inputs and it's highly complex and it's and it's adjusting all of the time so that's the kind of, that's the overview of how humans kind of stay balanced in a physical sense. Right. And this of course is important to systemic in the same way that's important to all physical activities in that. Um, if you can't, if you're not aware of your balance and you're not in control of it, then losing it means that you could fall down and injure yourself in, in the, in the grossest sense of it, but also even losing it a little bit means that your power delivery is compromised, right? If you're a weightlifter and you're trying to pick up a big, you know, deadlift bar or something like that, right? And, and you're overbalanced, you're leaning over the weight, then you're not going to be able to pick that thing up, right? You have to be solidly balanced to be able to do it, right? Um, and if you're trying to throw somebody on the ground or push somebody backwards or punch them, then you need to be evenly balanced in order to deliver that force, right? You could launch them, yourself at them with your whole body weight, right? But even that's a process of you know, finding your balance and then connecting with somebody and then the two of you have like a shared momentum and then you both lose your balance and go to the ground, right? And, and doing that without the consideration of balance is reckless and risky, right? You might land in a bad way. You might go in a heap with the guy and then he flips in midair and lands on top of you, right? So, so I think keeping that control of balance, just in, in a very, very basic sense, is integral to being able to apply forces Uh, intelligently in Systema. And the same is true of tennis or golf or any number of other things that way. Um, What becomes interesting specifically in martial arts or combat sports is that when two people connect there they have a shared center of balance or a shared center of mass right if i if i'm standing here as i am now opposite you we're both just wobbling around on our inverse pendular feet on about 56 bones of our feet right (laughs) Uh, and just making sure that i don't fall forwards and headbutt you in the nose and you don't fall forwards and inadvertently do something else that way right um but as soon as we connect if i put my arms on your neck and you hold on to my arms now we're kind of like a tabletop, right? We have four feet, literally, right? Um, and this bridge between the two of us creates a shared center of mass that's between us, right? It's not actually in either of our bodies. It's in that kind of empty space in between us in the same way that the center of mass of a hula hoop is right in the middle where there's nothing, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> kind of that way, right? Um, and if you want to shift that, it, things become more complex now, right? I can't just hold on to you and then be like, well, my balance is here, so I'm just going to pull from here and throw you around. It's like, well, your balance is over there and the center of mass is in between us. So I'm pulling from one end of this object now. And this okay. object now weighs uh, probably about, uh, I don't know, what are you weigh? About 160?
1: 165.
0: 160? Yeah, and I weigh about 180. right? Uh, so, okay. I'm,
1: I'm, I'm 165 plus, plus the vanity pounds that I'm not going to tell you about. <laughs> there
0: you go. Anyway, so we're, we're maybe like 350, 360 pounds or something like that together, right? <laughs> um, the two of us. And me trying to pull 360 pounds from one edge is like picking up. You know, a heavy bag from arm's length, right? And so, in very simple terms, I have to recognise that we have a shared centre of balance, and then maybe step into that shared centre of balance, right? I occupy that middle balance point, and now I'm I have more control of us as a joint object. And from there, I'm balanced in myself. You're hanging on me, and now I'm able to either throw you to the ground, or sometimes even just fail to support you, right? Right. You don't realise you're hanging on me anymore, and I just relax out of position, and you can fall down, right? So there's lots of ways that you can play with that system. Um, but so in practical terms and um, you have to recognize that you're dealing with a person you're not dealing with an inanimate object It's one thing to pick up a dummy right or to pick up a, a kettlebell or pick up a weight or something and swing it around they do have their own challenges and problems and you can spend years learning how to lift kettlebells properly because they kind of fling outwards with centripetal force as you're moving around but a person is even more difficult to work with because they're Uh, animate and they're sentient and they don't like being thrown around so they'll twist and squirm around in midair shifting their center of bounce, shifting the shared center of bounce that you have as you try and move and that can completely bugger up your your plans for moving around and leave you susceptible to injury if you're not careful so so an understanding of that basic kind of biomechanical interaction i think is fairly critical and you can do all of the kind of you know sensitivity work in the world and you know you can read about how systema works and kind of have an idea about it but if you don't have an integral sense of how that works in your body either through long Periods of trial and error, falling over and getting back up again, and throwing on the ground, or through like a, a specific study reinforced by a practical experience, then you're always going to be handicapped, right? You, you're, uh, that poor balance is always going to limit what it is that you can do in terms of power delivery or or smooth movement.
1: Mm-hmm. So you need to understand your own balance as a as a an individual unit before yeah. you can be intelligent in in working with the shared. Yeah, of, of two people.
0: Absolutely, yeah. So so in practical terms, we do this a lot in system. This is one of the reasons why we start on the ground. We start flat where you don't have to worry about balancing, right? And then we'll roll over and over from face up to face down where there's not a lot... There's a shifting of mass and density and weight, but it's pretty simple, right? Um, mm-hmm. And then you come up to... Sit-ups, sitting up or to your knees or standing. And as you do that, that that dynamic maintenance of balance becomes more difficult, right? Mm. And sometimes if we get too tense or the hips are getting too tight or the back is getting too tight, we'll go back to the ground and move around for a while, almost to remind Mm. ourselves of that connection so that when we stand back up again, we have a more intuitive feeling for it.
1: Well, for me, that's one of the big challenges that I've had since I've begun Mm. is when you, you often talk about no momentum, yeah. So make a movement so that like let's say a a forward roll. Yeah. Uh or going to the ground that at any or you know any any sort of movement that at any point you could stop, you could reverse it. Yeah. As opposed to when I'm doing these movements I feel like I'm I I've committed. You're tumbling. I'm tumbling and yeah. now you know everything then has to unfurl and yeah. then I'm like flat on my back again and things are cool. Yeah. Um so like, how, how do you like? So, I, you know, I always begin and end in balance if I'm lying on the ground. Sure. So, what are some things we can do to maintain, to, to become more sensitive to when we are in balance or out of balance in a dynamic? Uh, motion context
0: yeah i mean and to be clear on that as well there's there's a place for for having momentum right other people are going to get introduced momentum to you so you're not going to get the choice all of the time to control every shift of your balance and your density right other people will shift it abruptly when they punch you in the face or (laughs) throw you over right Uh, it's about then how do you recover your balance how do you recover control over your momentum over your where your density is shifting over your where your center of mass is underneath your feet right if you just allow yourself to tumble to a halt then they've decided that entire interaction but if you can Rebalance yourself, then. Then that's important too. Um, But on the solo training scale, the the most important tool for this, I think, is extraordinarily slow movement. Right. So if you're doing ground transitions, Vladimir last week up in Toronto had us do moving from face up to lying on one side of the body, to lying face down prone, to lying on the other side, and then he would count slower and slower. So we count to five as we transition from one position to the next, and then to ten, and then eventually to twenty. And it's interesting that as you do that and you go slower and slower you can feel the little cheat motions that you make like the little kind of jerky twitchy rapid movements of an arm or something to rebalance yourself because you're frightened that you fall on your face even from a sideline position you're like oh i don't want to put my face on the ground and these little twitches come into motion or in your hips or something like that and then the more and the longer that you do that literally if you do that for like 15 or 20 minutes you'll get this exquisite sense of like oh all i have to do is move density around like and i just need the minimal set of pulls in my muscles in order to achieve that anything else that happens is not actually helping me here right Mm -hmm. Um, it's just extraneous movement and that kind of stuff right so you move without momentum that way on the ground very very slowly to understand how balance shifts right and then you can do the same thing standing up you can literally from a standing position you can walk forwards um, but do it so that each footstep takes five seconds right one two three four five and you try and make it smooth you don't kind of shoot a foot out in front of you as an outrigger and then uh, kind of shift your hips over the top of it and then kind of pull the back foot up again. You see if you can make it as smooth as possible and then you see if you can do that every step takes 10 seconds right this way and then the extreme version is like it's one step per 10 minutes or something like a footstep per mm. 10 minutes and if you're doing that you're literally bouncing on one foot for most of that exercise so you're you're really training those proprioceptive muscles you're training your vestibular organs and the coordination of that information but you're also understanding what happens when you walk right now we don't have the luxury of moving like this all the time um we don't fight in tai chi all the time right mm. <laughs> in, in slow motion um but just the reinforcement of that information constantly 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 allows us to work at higher and higher speeds with more and more sophistication and input and integrative kind of potential as, as to how our balance shifts. And of you have to speed it up eventually. You have to walk quickly and see if you can keep that same feeling. But what you'll find is that if you move slowly for a good long period of time first, so move really slowly on the ground for five or ten minutes and then speed up, right, um, then you'll find that you have a lot more information, you feel a lot more smooth, you feel a lot more heavy and solid, and it works really, really well. Now, you don't want to speed up to the point at which you feel like you're losing your balance or losing your control, Mm. right? You just speed up to the highest speed that you can without creating excess tension or agitation. It's
1: like um, practicing a musical piece. Yeah, exactly. Right. So that if you, if you can, I can play a piece quickly, yeah. and there's all these little mistakes in it. Yeah. And I'm not, by by playing it quickly again and again and again, I'm reinforcing the mistakes. I'm not erasing them. Exactly. But when I go back to really slowly, and I see, oh, even at crazy slow speed, my yeah. finger comes down on the fretboard in the wrong place. Yeah. Like that's where I can begin to. Yeah. To correct it. Yeah, and what I just noticed is I just started doing this exercise that you suggested about moving on foot really Really slowly Hmm. is that on the the foot that's on the ground. There's all these little muscles firing off to the sides that feel like they're not the sort of things that I strengthen or recruit when I'm doing squats for example Sure, right when I'm doing sort of these mass uh, heavy motions, you know sort of classic bodybuilding weightlifting types of things. Yeah, there's no subtlety Right. to it but yeah. so that i feel like i'm waking up these muscles hmm. that now if i walk quickly hmm. they're they know what to do yeah as opposed to being dormant
0: yeah absolutely and and you can turn that any of those exercises those classical exercises into a of exercise just by doing them at a tenth of speed right <laughs> lift the same weight like do the same bodyweight exercise do a pull-up right i like doing a pull-up in the morning that takes one minute right and mm. um, you just hang from your hands and kind of get yourself aligned and then you very very slowly put power into the bottom of your elbows and drive yourself upwards and you try not to bunch your shoulders up or introduce any other tension that you don't need. And the first few times you do this is very difficult because if you've been doing pull-ups and you're quite proud of yourself to be able to do like I don't know, 15 or 20 in a row, just somehow you manage to do them, right? If you're proud of doing that and then you can't do one slowly, it's, it's a real dignity stripper. Like oh. <laughs> the ego is just like, Oh man, I can't even do one. Um, but what you were doing essentially was again, just throwing your momentum up and the extreme version of this is in like CrossFit when they do kipping pull-ups and things like that where they're like swinging the legs into position shifting the balance dynamically to pull themselves up and i'm not saying that's necessarily the worst thing in the world you know you can do more pull-ups that way you can study how your body moves through space but it's not going to strengthen these proprioceptive organs right and it's not going to give you the stability that you need uh, to be able to do that motion quickly without any risk of injury right so you can cheat and go fast with anything um, but the slow motion gives you a lot more um gives your brain a lot more information to work on going forward and leaves you less susceptible to loss of balance and with it, uh, right. potential injury. Right.
1: So how, how does, um, as, a, as a teacher, how do you work with someone, say who comes in and you can see their posture is compromised in all the typical ways that our, our Western postures are compromised, either from, yeah. you know, turtling or, or desk yeah. jockeying, mm-hmm. because we all have, we are all balanced when we're standing up. Sure. But like for myself, mm-hmm. like I was balanced on my hamstrings. Yeah. And then, you know, so sort of like a Jenga tower where everything's sort of like poking yeah. out sideways yeah. and, and there's all these uh, cables that were, you know, entirely tense yeah. and then there were others that were entirely slack, but I was balanced yeah. until you push something and then I would collapse. Yeah. Like, what do you see and what do you do yeah. when someone comes in with that kind of precarious balance?
0: Yeah. Um, so the first thing actually is that um, just massage uh, because sometimes... No matter how much you tell somebody to straighten up, for example, if they spent eight hours in a desk posture with their um, pectoral muscles pulled forwards, um, contracted and their shoulders, pulled forwards and their, you know, the ventral line of their body, the stomach muscles and their neck all pulling down into the front of the body. If you just tell them to straighten up and pull themselves up, then all they do is add a bunch of tension to their back to counteract the tension in the front. And it's, it's a kind of dynamic equilibrium, but it means they're just locked and they can't move at all, right? So the best thing to do at the beginning is just to get out the stupid tension, right? It's to mash it. It's to step on it. It's to knead those muscles until it's almost painful for them to, to keep that tension there, right? And now they have the possibility of relaxing those muscles, right? You can strike the muscles. You can do other stuff with it, right? But it's really just to try and loosen them up. And then the second thing that you can do is... Um, Without making sure they're not in such a terrible position that they risk injury, you exhaust them a little bit, right? You just do a bunch of push ups, like a load of push ups or slow push ups, um, and they just kind of have to see how they can do that, get through the motions, right? And then the muscles get tired on their own, they start to kind of um, lose the will to stay tense a lot of ways. And then once you have that exhaustion state, right, um, then you can start to work with them in various ways. Like you can position them standing up and say, okay, you're standing there, you feel balanced. How does that feel? Um, and then you can put your hands, for example, either sh- either side of the of the collarbones, like right, so the, the, or rather, your thumbs are in front of their collarbones, and your fingers are kind of reaching over the top of their trap muscles to the back, and then you hardly touch at all. You just kind of leave a couple of millimeters between their skin and and your fingers um, and then they'll feel these little adjustments that they're making as they kind of sway backwards and forwards and bounce off of you and then you kind of cue them to straighten up to lengthen from the crown of the head and from the tailbone and then to see if they can just balance through the bones on their feet and and less kind of just pull themselves around right mm-hmm. that gives them a sense of what it is to maintain kind of a static equilibrium right and then quite simply you start to push right and so those basic push drills we do when you push the chest or the shoulders or into the stomach that's a test of how well you can um, your structure can dynamically rebalance itself. And if you stand in uh, you know, office posture with your shoulders slumped downwards and you, kind of your lower back kind of arched and kind of swayed back and somebody pushes you, you'll stagger backwards immediately. But from a well-balanced kind of straight position where your chest is open and the hips are relaxed, you've got much more capacity to resist pushes, uh, especially if they're coming from various angles. So if you have two people on one pushing from all different directions, it will show a lot of kind of um, discrepancies in the way that you try and rebalance yourself. And it will reveal you to be either a Jenga tower balancer with bits hanging off one side to balance the other or just a straight tower, like something that's genuinely balanced over the top of its feet that can rebalance itself a lot easier than that. So, um, And then later on, you can get into other exercises where you apply um, abrupt pulls or pushes. For example, the one that's been nicknamed the stubborn toddler drill. Right? You'll stand in front of me facing each other. You put one arm out, I'll hold onto your forearm with both of my hands. And then I'll gradually, very, very gradually start to apply force pulling you towards me through that arm. And what you can do is try and balance out that Uh, shift of mass that gradual shift of mass as i pull you towards me um by pulling back with your shoulder for example or pulling back with your back muscles but eventually that's going to pull your body out of equilibrium right that your shoulder will lock up your back will lock up and now i have Mm. like a handle on your spine and now i can pull your spine directly out of position right Mm -hmm. the other thing that you can do is recommit to keeping your shoulder back in its socket to keeping that density balanced over the top of your hips and your feet keep your head over the top of your hips, right? And then you just squat straight down. So as I start to apply force, you just sink down a little bit, right? So you're still bouncing on your own feet. It's almost like you're ignoring me and be like, nah, I'm not going to go that way. And you lower your center of gravity, increasing the pressure there, and it gets harder for me to pull. And then if I'm not extremely well balanced too, then I'll start to make weird shapes to try and pull you out of position. And you tend to kind of try and bounce out my force that way. And this reinforces that sense of the straight back, with um, your mass balanced over the point of contact on the ground is really the ideal configuration that you need. And anything other than that, leaning to one side, twisting the body, is going to be risky because it's going to introduce asymmetry to the body that makes it difficult to work with. Now, advanced levels, like Vladimir, he he can work with those asymmetries and stay relaxed and balanced and dynamic in the motion. Um, But for the most part, we should keep trying to return to this natural straight structure as much as we can. Mm -hmm. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I mean what what strikes me is this might be a little sort of woo-woo mm-hmm. but like when when I feel balanced yeah you know in my body like physically just the, the way we've been talking about mm-hmm. there's also a psychological aspect Absolutely. to yeah. to that where when you when you were pulling mm-hmm. and I began to squat down it kind of felt like like me and the earth are buddies sure. and and you aren't part of the party like sure. i felt yeah. like it was it wasn't about me versus you or me it was yeah um it was just a sense of belonging on the planet okay yeah um yeah you know through through the the, the sensitivity of the feet and all those drills it's just like yeah. ah this this when i'm balanced my body feels like it's home
0: yeah Nice, yeah, yeah, very good. And and I think people describe that sensation in dance and in other disciplines as well. When they like, they feel like when they feel balanced, they feel free to move, right? Because there's there's no extra stuff pulling in on them, and they feel psychologically relaxed because they're balanced. And now they're free to add things, right? But if you're not truly physically balanced, then you're not psychologically balanced because you're always worried about losing it and falling over, right? And and while you're in that state, you're very limited in the in your choices, right? If, if you're being if you're leaning back. And you're barely maintaining your balance. I, I I feel like maybe I could grab onto you and pull you with me and flip you over my head, right? I could transition to the ground and bite your ankles or something, right? that kind of stuff. But I, it's going to be very hard for me to press forwards from that position or strike from that position or or move sideways or do something creative, right? Because I've already, my loss of balance has already cut down my options to a large extent. So so staying balanced enables you to... to stay creative in a a, a big sense as well so and this is why vladimir is constantly admonishing people to you know stand straight keep the chest open keep everything balanced relax the legs so that you've got these options so that you can move And, and also working on one leg right you pick up one leg and you see can you stand on one leg and still do things can you still like push with your foot or when you push somebody when you're standing on one leg do you just push yourself off balance right if that's the case then you don't really understand how it is that you're rebalancing so it's worth spending time on one leg um throughout the day you know to to try and reinforce that sense Um, and coming on to kind of the psychological aspect so we've got that physical literally our bodies as objects like pushing and pulling them around kind of sense of balance that we've talked about there rebalanced by the neurological inputs but of course our bodies on the inside try to maintain kind of a, a physiological balance as well right so in biology we call this homeostasis which is that tendency for the body to try to maintain like an internal balance or an internal equilibrium so simple examples might be your body likes to keep the same blood pressure more or less right your body likes to keep the same body temperature more or less within very narrow ranges it likes to keep the same ph levels acidity levels in your blood and uh, sugar levels in your blood and if it goes above or below a certain level right your blood sugar goes too high and then insulin comes in dumps a bunch of that you know, sugar into your um, fat cells to try and remove it from your bloodstream if it goes too low then glucagon is released to try and um, create sugar resources basically mm-hmm. free them from fat cells into your bloodstream um, and the same thing goes for um, pH levels like your body will try and rebalance those um, with different compounds and temperature levels too, You know, if you get too hot your body will try and sweat and uh, mm-hmm. evaporate some of that heat away if it can and if you get too cold it will shiver to, so the muscles will generate heat and it can rebalance those things so we all know that, that at homeostasis and our bodies. Try to stay constantly comfortable that way. Um, but that's that tendency sometimes can get stuck if the body's not in contact with what's going on outside of it. So if we're constantly feeding it a super sugary diet, for example, then super sugary bloodstream becomes the new norm, right? Or oh, super yeah. sugar inputs become the new norm. And then what happens is what's called allostasis, which is this adaptive, uh, this process of attempted adaptive stability, right? The body's trying to adapt to a new normal in which all the food is sugary. Um, so it changes the hormone balance within the body, it changes the allocation of um, nutrients and resources to try and be like, oh, okay, if that's, this is what we're using, I'm going to have to do my best with this. But that usually comes with a cost, right? There's an energy cost and there's damage long term to trying to do that out And the same thing is true on the physical movement level, right? Your body's trying to stay balanced all the time. And it and it will try and rebalance itself. And if you push or pull me, then I can step with my feet to try and keep myself balanced. I can transition to the ground to find a lower position all that kind of stuff, right? Um, but if my body is constantly trying to seek neutral, then that will be great and it will be healthy for me and I can deliver power and I can remain healthy as I'm moving and fighting, right? Um, but if I'm constantly beating myself up first, if I'm holding myself in a tense position with my shoulders forwards and shoulders you know, raised up towards the ears and my stomach tight and my breathing is tight and all those kinds of things... Then throughout the entire process of the fight or the interaction, my body's trying to adapt to that new normal. It's driving up the blood pressure to try and fuel that tension. It's you know it's it's driving up the psychological tension. It's trying to kind of increase blood flow to the sensory organs to try and take in more information because it's scared of what's going on. Um, and that's not a good state to be in. Like you can train that way, um, but it's basically your body will adapt to being feeling threatened all the time, and your body will adapt to feeling tense all the time. And it's it's not going to do you much good in the long run either, right? So I think you can see those. the the, that type of balance emerging in training also
1: yeah i mean i think of uh you know pretty much all chronic disease as allostasis sure yeah so there might be a time in our evolutionary past where hey you know here's a beehive and these have gone away like let's let's eat as much honey as we can and the body Hmm. then you know transitions to like we're going to store this because we might need it later yeah but if you if every day is uh beehive day (laughs) day, you know that's called diabetes yeah Yeah. Uh, you know or uh, there's a bunch of fat in our blood cells in, yeah. in our in our uh, in our bloodstream, and so mm. the, the heart has to work harder yeah. to, to to push it around, sure. and that's called high blood pressure when it sure. when we never give it a rest.
0: Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and that's and that's that allostatic load as it's been termed right that that loading of the body with the attempt to adapt to what you're doing to it has been blamed for everything from high blood pressure hypertension diabetes cancer susceptibility to disease because it maintains inflammation the whole time as well so it's it's a big part of disease in the western world certainly that allostatic load the whole time yeah that's a big deal um so so one other aspect of this that i'd like to talk about a little bit is balance is that um again it's it's adaptive so that, that when you're trying to rebalance your body it's it's one thing to stand on your own in solo practices right um and in chinese internal arts they do this a lot of the time right qigong stuff like that you'll stand with your hand in various positions and you will try to let the weight fall down through your body and feel that weight going through your feet right and then maybe you'll practice shifting the weight very very slowly to new positions and all that kind of stuff and that's that's kind of one thing and it's very valuable practice and it will inform how you move and it'll inform your proprioception and your um, vestibular organs, the integration of that, all of that information in the brain, right? Um, but balance, dynamic balance, again, there's, there's not just a sensory aspect to it. It's not just like me sensing in every available microsecond where my body is and then adjusting every single second. There's a predictive element to it as well. So essentially, the brain's trying to ask, answer three questions all the time in an effort to keep you balanced, right? And this is with reference to blood pressure to sugar in the bloodstream like to fat in the bloodstream or to am i upright am i going to stay upright right and these three questions are quite simple it's one where am i now right where are we at what's Mm -hmm. let's take a snapshot and see where we're at number two where am i going right Um, and then number three what do i want to do right so there's three sets of questions that your brain is trying to answer in order to not just maintain not just react to what you're doing in every microsecond, in every snapshot, but to try and give you the resources or to prepare you for what's going to happen next. Right?
1: You're right. I'm, see- I'm seeing sort of a geometric, like an arc, yeah. where there's the point, the base point where it is now, yeah. and then there's the two lines that may diverge. Sure. And the, to the extent that they may diverge, the brain has to yeah. inter- intervene to, to make them, uh, you know, sure. identical one on top of the
0: other. Yeah, definitely. So, um, so from the point of view of physical balance, right, the where am I now is answered by proprioception and physical Uh, organs and visual input right um you're taking in all of that and you're like oh okay i can see where i am now but you can lose some of that sensory information right if you don't orientate yourself correctly if you get too fixated right if somebody's attacking you with a knife or they're you know leaning on you or something and you're staring just at your partner's eyes and their angry face right you can lose the sense of where you are in your environment you lose the sense of the horizon you lose the sense of other objects in the room all that kind of stuff so you're not taking in enough information to answer that question you know what I mean? Like that, That where am I now? And that that can be tricky, and that can cause you to lose balance without you even realizing Yeah,
1: that reminds me a little bit of uh, what I understand of like motion sickness. Yeah. Right, so that the, the eyes and the body are giving different signals.
0: Yeah, exactly. The eyes are tracking the inside of the vehicle, right, for the most part. And mm-hmm. it's just like, oh, we're stable. We're absolutely stable. And the vestibular organs are like, no, we're bouncing around in something, and we're tilting or something. Yeah, exactly. And so part of the cure for that is to stare out of the window at the moving scenery, right? Yeah. So that you can, again... Get, get some uh, congruence again and you're like, yeah, that's right. My ears are correct and my eyes are correct. We're in something that's moving. Right. We haven't right? have have been poisoned. There's sure. no, no, no need yeah. to puke. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But if you stare at a, a static book within the whole thing, then the, that, it's that dissonance that starts to create that, that whole weird sense. Yeah. Um, so that's the where am I now bit. The next question is where am I going, right? So, um, And again, if you don't kind of open yourself up and stay aware of your environment, right, and stay aware of what's going on, And then you can't really answer that question. If you're locked on the person in front of you and what they might do to you in terms of trying to grapple you to the ground or punch you or something, then you can't see the spaces around them, underneath them, like within the room that you could use in order to try and escape or solve this problem, right? You just become kind of locked on the person and that limits your options, right? And it tends to Mm -hmm. kind of fixate you on them and you'll pull yourself out of balance this way. You haven't got the information required to rebalance yourself. And then that third question is, 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 what do I want to do, right? And if what you want to do is grab the person and pull them to the ground or it's like to step out a little bit to create a little bit more distance for yourself so you can strike properly or do something else and then your body has to ponder that and then preempt the series of kind of little movements that you're going to make before you shift your weight and then plant your foot down right so all three of those things are happening very, very very quickly but you have to you have to be relaxed enough in terms of processing. To be able to allow that to happen. If you try and force one of those things. Like what am I doing? I'm going to go over there. And you don't give your body a chance to feel what's going on. And orient itself properly. Then it's almost like you decide and act. Before you've got enough information. And then you're just kind of throwing it. Down an alley, right? You're you just trying. It's on a on a wing and a prayer, right? Mm. You, you just launch yourself at the guy. You would throw a strike as if it's like a moving bag or something like that, and you hope that you don't hit his elbow or his chin. Or well, in reality, what you want to do is move in a balanced way, try and relax yourself as much as possible, transition to a new position where you're comfortable and balanced, and then from there you can be like, "What am I going to do? I'm going to punch him." You can project outwards from there and hit the guy and put him down, or throw, or whatever it is you're going to do. Mm. So on the physical level, those questions. Might seem simple, but it 's very easy for you to shut yourself down and introduce things into that equation that stop you from stop your brain from making those natural equations and I think a lot of the time when Vladimir is talking about natural movement um, natural movement is the emergent property of getting out of your own way in this right if you mm-hmm. If you just keep yourself open and keep yourself relaxed and keep yourself balanced as a default state, then your body will answer those questions naturally if you don 't mm-hmm. and you introduce some artificial movement, some artificial stance, or some progression of movement that you think you're going to apply to the person out of context of what's around you and what's going on, then you're running the risk of doing something that's not contextual and you're muddying the waters and slowing down that neurological ability to adapt to what's going on and, and dynamically adapt your balance. So you're almost guaranteeing that you're going to be off balance. Does that mm. kind of make sense?
1: Well, I'm thinking about like self-driving cars okay. or, or like, yeah. you know, the Roomba the yeah. little vacuum, you know, vacuum cleaner. Yeah. The, the, the problem with those is that there's, you know, we don't have the computing power to put in enough inputs hmm. and to, um, to sort of analyze. We don't have enough data sets uh, yeah. to analyze, like, what should we do in each situation? Hmm. With our brains, though, the problem is not, not enough data. Yeah. Right. We have plenty of yeah. data, and so we can be sort of like perfectly cybernetic yeah, You know, in sort of a way like a heat-seeking missile mm. is never on target. Or yeah. let's say, when, like you know, the classic example, like the airplane flying from New York to London yeah. is never perfectly on target. Mm. But because there's a human mm. with feedback mm. that, um, you know, we end, up in, we end up in exactly the right place, even as things change. The winds shift, sure. you know, the earth is turning. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so that, so that getting out of our own way yeah. implies that there's this incredibly complex set of calculations that are going on all the time hmm. that our conscious minds are never going to improve.
0: Right. Yeah, exactly. So it's about stripping away those attempts at conscious decision-making and just allowing your intuition to do the work for the most part, I think. And I think that's a big part of what feeds into intuition, right? It's the sense of balance and this dynamic kind of rebalancing that happens all the time. And, and that's a lot of what we try to do with systemic training. Um, now, coming on to what kind of it does for us in our everyday lives, obviously, you want to try and keep everything as much in balance as possible. It's good to try and kind of maintain some sort of homeostasis with your lifestyle. Right. So you shouldn't sit for eight hours a day and then try and get up and do like an hour of high intensity exercise and think, yeah, that's balance. I've balanced out eight hours of sitting with one hour of crazy exercise. You haven't, right. You're, what you're really doing there is is sending two messages to your body. One is that I need to sit for eight hours. So please allocate resources so that I can sit well. Right. Um, and the second is you might need emergency reserves of energy like like later on in the day. So please store lots of energy right? and, and then make it available at a ridiculous rate and, and fire up my blood pressure because I'm going to need this really, really fast, right? So you're always training your body to be in like this emergency state the whole time, right? Whereas if you're kind of spreading out your movement throughout the day and Matt Hill's written very eloquently in, in this in his uh, books and articles, it's it's way better. Like there's a difference between exercise, like modern exercise and what we think of it as kind of you know, commercial exercise programs and things like that and just movement and play, right? Um, Like natural movement happens throughout the day, right? You just get up, you get down, you squat on the floor, you roll around a little bit, you pick things up, you go dig, you climb, you do other things and it happens kind of spaced out throughout the day and it's it's fairly low intensity most of the time unless you're chasing something really fast, right? Um, But for the most part, it's spread out and it's a continuous input that your body's adapting to all the time. Whereas modern exercise has become like an antidote to the sitting. We're like, well, we have to sit for hours and hours and hours. So now we should try and out-exercise the sitting. And, uh, and we can't. We just can't. Our bodies don't adapt to it that way. So trying to redress the balance of stasis and movement, trying to redress the balance of like how much we eat versus how much we don't eat, not just like, in terms of nutrition. right? Maybe you could, you know, I know you're a big advocate of like having a, a plant-based diet, right? And maybe you don't go entirely vegetarian or vegan, um, but you want a good balance here. You don't just want to be eating just flat-out meat all day long, and then just the occasional bit of veg on the side, right? It's like we get so many micronutrients from plants that we desperately need, right? And people can argue about, you know, the benefits of paleo versus veganism and all things like that. But I think we can all agree that, like, you want a balance of those micronutrients and you want a balance of the real foods that you're eating. And if you're just eating, you know, I don't know, chips every day or something like that or Hot Pockets, right? Yeah. <laughs> you're not getting balance in terms of the inputs. that Right. I've never
1: had an argument with anyone about Fruit Loops
0: right yeah <laughs> there you go exactly yeah so you want to balance those things out too um even to a certain extent the circadian rhythms right the, the timings with which you eat and stuff like that there's there's benefits to intermittent fasting and stuff like that as well but if you're just eating at random times throughout the day like sometimes you eat at 11 p.m and then you eat again at 7 in the morning and then you skip lunch and then you eat again at dinner that's not good for your body either that's not a balanced input right and so your body's tries drastically to rebalance that there's a load that's created as it tries to kind of deal with those kinds of inputs too right so so bursts fanatical bursts of nutrients (laughs) like especially Mm -hmm. macronutrients and fanatical bursts of movement to counteract stasis are not good things right you should try and just kind of spread things out as much as possible so your body's more homeostatic Mm -hmm. and less allostatic
1: yeah so so what do the desk jockeys do practically do we quit our jobs
0: Uh, Yeah, just don't pay bills anymore. It's it's no fun anyway, right? And who needs a house? It's (laughs) fine. Sell the kids. It'll be fine. And and
1: the world needs lots of sistema instructors. So there's a huge, is a huge uh, opportunity there.
0: Yeah, definitely is. Yeah, people just beating down my door every day to train sistema. I have to kick them all away. I haven't got enough instructors. Tell everybody. Yeah, in all seriousness, right? If you have to, if you have a sedentary job and you have to sit at a desk, um, there's options. Like once an hour, you can stand up and just move around a little bit, do a couple of push-ups, go for a walk. On your lunch break, don't sit more, right? Don't spend an hour sitting and scrolling Facebook and all that kind of stuff as well. Try and get out for a walk, move yourself around. So punctuate, take movement snacks throughout the day instead of like, instead of nutrition snacks, that kind of that way, right? Um, So that's one thing that you can do. You kind of work out that way. You can also just kind of look at your daily routine and sort of see um, how imbalanced that is in terms of your allocation of kind of mental resources as well, right? Are you just kind of staring at a screen for four hours straight, um, and then later on, you veg out and you stare at another screen and watch Netflix or something like that, right? Or you you know scroll Facebook timeline for an hour or something like that. It might be that you want to rebalance those activities a little bit and sort of say, all right, I'm going to limit myself to I think half an hour of scrolling Facebook is probably adequate for a day, right? And and probably three hours. Maybe an hour and a half at a time is enough to be focusing like crazily on one task to be staring at it, and I need to punctuate those little tasks as well. I'm not advocating task switching because like all the time because that has its own problems, right? Um, but you need to give yourself concentration breaks and switch activities sometimes mm-hmm. just to allow your body to kind of your brain to rebalance what's going on there too. Yeah, the
1: the um, the technique that I found most helpful for myself is called Pomodoro.
0: Sure. Yeah. The 25, uh, minute. 25
1: minutes on, five minutes off. Yeah, definitely. Um, and I love I love first of all the five minutes off because it, it happens frequently enough that I do get to move around and I love that I have the the rule is you stop when the timer goes off even if you're in the middle of a sentence and that creates kind of the open loop that yeah. allows me to jump right back into it, yeah. Um, often with 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 more creativity,
0: yeah, definitely, yeah. Instead of closing it off and then kind of trying to get restarted again, and going to get over that static inertia again. Yeah, and there's a good um, there's a good app for I think it's a PC and Mac called Pomodoro, which is good for that. You can just put it on your laptop, right? And it mm-hmm. it will run in the background and ping that, and you can set up the things that start of the day. So that's a fun one to play with as well. Mm-hmm. Um, one that I've been doing my stress-proof workshops and tech-proofs, if you can use Moment, it's this is really interesting little app you can put on your phone, and it will track how much time as a function of battery life you're spending on email, on Facebook, on like Instagram or it's mm. like that and you look at it at the end of the day and you're like really an hour and a half on Instagram like what would I have done with an hour and a half if mm. I didn't do that and it just kind of gives you this short sharp shock of like oh that's just not good and then it might make you, and if it will reveal to you which one of those is your Achilles heel right which is the one that you just can't resist and then that information alone is enough to help kind of give you what you need to start rebalancing your habits and social media and stuff like that whether you go cold turkey or whether you just try and kind of balance that out a little bit as you go through the day mm-hmm. so that's a fun one.
1: Yeah, one, one of the exercises that I do with, uh, with, with my clients, I call it uh, 14.50, 14.30, mm. where first you imagine you had 10 extra minutes in the day yeah. that uh, it were just for you. Mm. Like, what would you do with it? What would be the best use of your time? And almost everyone says, go for a walk, meditate, spend more time with my kids, yeah. you know. And then mm. I say, all right, 14.30, suppose you had only you had 10 fewer minutes, what would you give up? Yeah. And everyone's, oh, social media, right? Yeah. TV. <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. And then I stop. Right, and they go, oh.
0: Right, that's a good one. Yeah, that's I'm nicking that. Yeah. <laughs> that's mine now. That's <laughs> yeah, that's great. Um, so one thing I'd like to close on was just um just an observation from working recently with Vladimir over the last couple of years, um, last week being up in Toronto and then um, last year, especially at the Parameters of Power seminar, in which there seemed to be this emphasis on sensing not just your own internal state and, and not actually just the state of... The person that you're working with but kind of orienting yourself in the context of the entire environment that you're in right so if you if you've ever trained with Konstantin Komarov a lot of the time if you're doing work in the woods or in the forest or something the first thing he has you do is lie down on this twiggy ground and red ants are biting you and there's a pine cone in your back and stuff like that and you're itching and you just have to lie there and settle into that environment and listen and feel it and kind of move your consciousness through little quadrants around you and try and take in Mm. all the sounds and the sights and the smells of the place that you're in and oddly enough you get up from that and it's like you're instantly primed to use everything around you and you feel better you feel more Mm. balanced in relation to your environment right? so that you can smack people off of trees you can dive under things you roll over stuff and you're not bracing up and you feel like you're more immersed in that whole environment. And same thing uh, last weekend we did car fight, right? Once a year we do moving, fighting in and around vehicles and escaping from crash cars, stuff like that. And one of the first drills we do on that one is that you almost you know dry hump a car. You're basically, you put your hand on a car, you run your hands over it, and you, you know, move your body, you kind of roll over it with your shoulders and your back and you kind of crawl underneath and kind of feel every available surface of it with your body inside and out so that you're comfortable with that environment so it's not a nasty surprise later on when somebody smashes a cheekbone off the console or something like that right Mm -hmm. um so that's a really interesting those are interesting kind of exercises but a while ago i used to consider those kind of little party tricks for like well you need that if it's a weird environment right if you're in the forest and it's spiky and crappy you need to get comfortable with it otherwise it's going to be a handicap if you're working around a jaggy edged car with bits in it and it's a confined space you need to get comfortable with that space otherwise you can't work as well as you could right but now I'm starting to realize um bidden by Vladimir and kind of berated by Vladimir really like last week is that you you can't switch that off if you want to work properly in systema That if I'm standing in front of you i'm coming into a room and we're going to train or something the first thing you should do is either lie down on the ground or go for a walk or feel that environment and again take in all the sights and the smells and the sounds and try and take in all the people in the room feel where the exits are have a sense of what the space is and then immediately you'll settle into it and the work that you do will be more balanced and more relaxed Mm. right Um, and when i'm working physically with you as a partner sometimes i can get psychologically out of balance maybe you give me some aggression I'm feeling sorry for myself that I'm not doing this as well as I could. I don't like losing. Some, some other kind of emotional kind of imbalance creeps in there. and We can go off on a tangent on another time about how those things get in there. Um, but when that's happening, rather than give in to it, And just allow myself to kind of go into that kind of rage or annoyance or feeling sorry for myself and continue to try and work through it. One of the best things that you can do is stop looking at your partner, right? They're still wrestling with you. They're Mm -hmm. still trying to press you. And you just kind of defocus your eyes, straighten yourself up, try and feel whatever the lowest part of your body is that's in contact with the ground. Reconnect with the ground, make it your friend, as you kind of put before, right? Um, and then see the whole environment around you. And you might continue to lose. You might continue to wrestle you and dominate you. But often you don't, because often once you've recaptured that context of where you are, your body starts to see the possibilities and it starts to escape. Often when you start to um, go into kind of a down spiral of losing and getting more and more tense and and getting more and more annoyed about it, it's because you've lost that sense of balance, right? Your body's trying to adapt to this new angry interaction that's going on and then nothing useful happens from that point right you're not really doing systema you might even dominate him and flip him and you know use techniques and principles that you've learned from other arts or just along the way to kind of cram him to the ground and you know hold him down and twist him up and causing pain but you're not really doing systema at that point right you've, because you've lost that balance you've lost that sense of um, real appropriate interaction with the person so i think that's a really important thing to remind ourselves of there's, there's an everyday day-to-day value to maintaining your balance all the time uh, and there's also like a rescue factor to it right you, you have to drastically rebalance yourself when you're under pressure right and system is the great lab for trying that out mm-hmm.
1: well i mean you know, as, I, as i think about like you know this room mm. i think of it intellectually right yeah. like there's the bookcase there's the lamp yeah um but my body like, like any animal in nature mm. like that's their job yeah. Just to like be aware of their environment. Sure. Yeah. Right. And so to to, to kind of roll around on it and to feel it and to like, you know, dry hump my bookshelf. Yeah. Uh, turn the camera <laughs> if like, off. like, I, I but, know you do love your books, myself. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's taken a bit far. <laughs> right, but just you know, like press my face against the side of it. Yeah. I think you know that's that's where where kind of new ideas and creativities yeah, come from. Like mm-hmm. I, I walked into the bedroom the other day, and Mia was. So I have to sense this. Pardon? Yeah, <laughs> Mia was was uh, was was watching something on her phone, and she yeah. she had her glasses as a sort of like a phone holder. Okay. So it was sitting straight up. She didn't have to hold it. I yeah. thought, wow, i never thought of that. Like yeah, yeah, the the space between the two lenses is the perfect place to prop up. <laughs> That's funny, right? <laughs> right, just just like when, when we give everything intellectual names, or if we're in, in engaged in uh, combat with someone, and we're mm. we're totally emotionally engaged. I think the body proprioception mm. um, and just you know perceiving things without labels, yeah, um, is very generative.
0: Yeah, I think so too. And I remember reading some uh, and was it jared diamond the guy who wrote uh, guns germs and steel and the world until yesterday and he, yeah. he talks about how he's worked he's anthropologist and he's worked with tribes in new guinea and venezuela you know first contact tribes people who've literally haven't had any contact with the kind of the new technological post-industrial world and all that kind of stuff and how they think we're idiots right they're, they're like how can you not climb up a tree and just walk across a branch 40 foot off the ground how can you not you're like a child you know like it's just like our it our that sense of balance is considered an innate part of being a human being. But somewhere along the line with modern life, we've, we kind of lose it by intellectualizing too much. And I think, again, cool. Sistema is one way to kind of recapture that, especially if you're forced to live in the technological world from day to day. Cool. Cool. Well, thanks cool. very much, Ben. Hopefully you'll have a, a balanced rest of the day and keep your deadly elbows and shoulders. Primed and ready yeah. to smack people that they grab hold of you.
1: But. Yeah, well, the best thing about it is I really can't hurt myself with my shoulders and elbows.
0: I'm not sure you can find a way. <laughs> <laughs> All right. right. Thanks very much. Cheers. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to find out more about training at NC Systema, you can visit us online at www.ncsystema.com. If you'd like to find out more about Sistema classes and seminars worldwide, please visit www.russianmartialart.com. If you'd like to support the podcast, you can share it with your friends online, you can write a review on iTunes, or you can support us directly with a monthly contribution of $1, $5, whatever you can afford. To become a Sistema for Life patron, please visit www.patreon.com. Any and all contributions are very much appreciated. They help us to keep the podcast going and to keep it advertising free. Many thanks, good health, and see you in training.